There's one more thing happening at the end of the year, and that's that uh, Pastor Ben Kai and Margarita are going to be getting married at the end of the year. So, yeah. Good thing that she's going to wear the dress, right? Excellent. Yeah, that's for sure. Awesome. Well, good to be with you all. Hey, I have really good news for you today, and it's that from the time we gathered here last Sunday to us now gathering here this Sunday is that we are one week closer to the second coming of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I start by saying that because we should always, as believers, keep in the forefront of our hearts and minds the fact that Jesus is coming again. And this is the promise that we have, that Christ will come again. It's a sure hope that the Bible says we are meant to encourage and comfort one another with that truth. Um, And the fact that he could appear at any moment, that has been a source of strength and comfort for for the church for generations since Jesus ascended back to heaven. It's also been a very purifying uh, truth. And we learned last week in verse 3 of chapter 3 where we ended, which is that um, it's intended to purify us because Jesus is pure. And I like what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 and 8 say in the New Living Translation about Jesus coming. It says, as believers, we are not in the dark about the Lord's return. I like that. We're not in the dark about the Lord's return. So let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmets the confidence of our salvation. So let that truth that Jesus is coming you know, be in your noggin today. Let it guard your heart and mind in Jesus. Now today, as we open God's living word, we're gonna be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 15. So you can open up your Bibles there. And, and as Ben Kai said, this is a portion of scripture that just kind of says it like it is. You know, it's written by John, who is called the son of thunder. Uh, this is like a passage where it's like the sanctified son of thunder bringing it right to us. It's a straight shooter kind of, stri- kind of scripture, and um, it's intended to purify the believer and to warn the unbeliever. And so what we need to do is we need to prepare our hearts to receive all that God wants to say to us today. So let's read the text in its entirety, and then we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to help me to teach his truth in love, and that we would all receive the love of Jesus through his truth. And so 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 4, let's read it together. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil." For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came, you appeared in this world to take away sins, to destroy the works of the devil, and we pray, God, that you would appear today Whether that be at your second coming, that would be awesome. But we know, Lord, that even though you are in heaven now, you are working and you are purifying your church and you are drawing people to yourself that they might know you and to be released from sin and death and the devil. So God, we pray that today, God, that you would allow me to teach your truth um, correctly and with your heart. And God, that we would receive your truth correctly. And God, it would change our hearts. And we pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's have a closer look at what John is saying, starting in verse 4. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So John is addressing the root issue that we all need to be saved from, and that is sin. Sin is a word that the Bible uses that means that we have missed the mark. And my son, he just got for his birthday this archery set, and I've been trying to hit the bullseye lately, and I still haven't gotten it. And and I think that that's a great picture of mankind, is that we try to hit the target, but we fail, we miss, we, we come up short. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes you, and that includes me. There is none righteous, not a single person in the earth apart from Jesus. And we have sinned in our thoughts and in our words and in our deeds. We have this disease of the soul called sin. And sin manifests in people through various symptoms called sins. And my sins may not be the same as your sins, but we all have sinned. We all have this disease, and thankfully, the church has been called a hospital for sinners. Glad you're here today. But sin is lawlessness, and that's a good definition for sin, too. See, God gave people laws. He gave Israel moral laws, civil laws, and ceremonial laws. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that when he came, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And what the law does is the law reveals sin. It shows us that we cannot obey God 
no matter how hard we try. And the law, what it was meant to do, is meant to drive us to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who has never sinned and the one who fulfilled the righteous requirement of God's law on our behalf. See, what Jesus did is he came to remove the handwriting of requirements that was against us and he nailed it to the cross. And if you are a redeemed sinner today, you can say thank you. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. But man, people are lawless. And there are those who practice lawlessness. God's law tells us not to do something and we do it. God's law tells us to do something and we don't do it. And we transgress God's law and therefore we offend God. And apart from Jesus, laws make us want to sin more. And sin is what keeps us from God. But when we come to Jesus, when we receive the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God's grace, what it does is it enables us to obey. The law was fulfilled in Jesus so that obedience for the child of God becomes a delight rather than a duty. And yet for the one who is not a child of God, they they will make it their practice to sin. Those who are lawless have no care or concern for God's law, and what they do is they reject God's grace and practice lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And what John has been touching on throughout this letter and what he'll really get into today is the subject of practice. That what we do gives evidence to who we belong to. What we do gives evidence to who we belong to. He's been distinguishing the difference between light and darkness, love and hate, truth and error. And what John has been saying is that a person's practice is a clear way to determine what a person is living for. And they're either a person is living in light, love, and truth, or they're living in darkness, hate, and error. And John, right, John's been pretty black and white, like pretty clear cut. Um, and I think it's quite refresh, refreshing, I think, right? We live in a time where there's just so much gray area. Well, no, it, it's just clear. And, and that's what John is going to get into. And this, this is what Jesus said when he came. He, he said this. Remember that Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. He said a good tree bears ba- uh, a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And you're like, "Great. I came to church today to be told that I am a sinner and to hear riddles." <laughs> right? But if you have ears to hear, you will hear. Jesus said, Turn that off because it's buzzing in my pocket. If you have ears to hear today, you will hear. And, and you know, what we're going to talk about today is that we want to be assured that we know God and God knows us, right? We want to be assured that we know God and God knows us. And 
what you're going to have to do today as you hear the word of God preached is you're going to have to examine your own heart and your own practices today. Because what I don't want to have happen today is I don't want anyone to be deceived thinking that they know God when they really don't. But I also want to make sure that as we preach the word of God, that those of us who are believers and we've made a profession of faith in Christ, I want you to be assured that you do know Jesus, that you do belong to him. And so what John is writing this letter for is so that no one is deceived and so that we can have assurance of eternal life. And if you've been born again, the Bible teaches that your practice will match your position, meaning that what you do is what God says, and thus showing that you belong to God. And if you know God, then you will live a righteous life because you've received the righteousness of Jesus that was given to you through his sacrificial death on a cross. What was his becomes yours, and you now seek to live it out daily in your life. And we know that Jesus came, and he died on a cross to redeem to redeem us, to redeem us from being slaves to sin. But, but what John is teaching here is that if you make it your practice to sin, then you are a slave to sin, and your sin remains as a separation between you and God. However, if you've been born again, and you make it your practice to live righteously, then you are a slave to righteousness, and you are a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 5 says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. See, we're only one verse in, and there's still so much more that's just going to hit us like square between the eyes. This truth is so telling of who we really are, and what John is so kind and understanding to do is he understands our human condition. He understands that we have fallen short, that none of us is righteous, and as soon as you talk about if you belong to God, you will practice righteousness, we would all despair. We would all say, well, well, I haven't. I haven't been able to live that way, but what John does is he's so kind that in this point to include this gospel statement, that without this truth, without this simple gospel statement, we would all despair. We would all sit in our seats today with frowns upon our faces. I would be miserable preaching this message, and you'd be miserable hearing it. But because we have this statement, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. I hope you agree today that we have utterly failed to obey God and to live righteously. But I also pray at the same hand that you would know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and the reason he could take away sins is that in him there is no sin. You see, he was able to be that perfect sacrifice that reconciles us to a holy and just God. I I was visualizing that picture of John the Baptist as he was, you know, out in the Jordan River and seeing on the banks of the Jordan River, watching as Jesus walked by and John just beholding Jesus and says to his disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like John got it, Jesus appeared and he's here in the flesh 
perfect, sinless Son of God, Lamb of God, to be sacrificed who will take away the sins of the world. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to take away sins. He came to us, friends, to remove from us the penalty and the power and the presence of sin in our lives. And verse 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, this verse has been the source of some controversy in Christian doctrine. And there are people who believe that the abiding Christian does not sin and cannot sin. They take these verses that we're studying and they try to claim perfectionism or what has been called entire sanctification. And many verses like the New King James Version, maybe you have that, says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. And people will say, see, see, it says it right there. That if you abide in him, if you're a believer, then you do not sin. And so I don't sin anymore. I'm not a sinner. But we have to study the scriptures in its context and know that John said earlier in 1 John, I think, 1.8, 1, that, that if we say that we have no sin, we're lying and the truth is not in us. And so we're not going to spend much time on such ridiculous thinking because all of us who are abiding believers in Jesus, we all know that we sin at times. We know that we are not sinless. But for the abiding believer, hopefully you are sinning less. You're not sinless, but hopefully we sin less. And I'm with you, brothers and sisters. I don't stand here um, saying that I have no sin. And, and I still sin, and when I sin, I go right to Jesus. And the key is that when we sin, and God convicts us by his Holy Spirit because we have the Spirit abiding in us, we turn from our sins and we go to Jesus who is our advocate and we ask him, we say, Jesus, I have sinned and, and, and he cleanses us by his blood. Amen? Amen. But don't miss what John is saying. See, I can't explain away the clear warning that John is giving. The ESV translation appropriately expands on the word sin in verse 6 by using the words keeps on sinning because what it does is it recognizes that the verb tense of that word sin is in the active present tense. And you're like, what? But, but what we have to understand is how incredible it is that the tense of a verb can shape our theology. That's why we got to be so careful to rightly divide the word of truth, looking at every jot and tittle, Jesus said, because none of it's going to pass away, and it leads us in righteousness. So going on with verse 6, what is John telling us? What John is saying is that you cannot be a Christian and make it your practice to sin. You cannot abide in Jesus and keep 
on sinning actively and continuously, meaning that if you make it your practice of your life to sin habitually in an ongoing, unrepentant, settled lifestyle of sin, then you have not seen God and you do not know God. Just as I've said those words, I realize two effects that those words can have. For the believer who has stumbled in sin, it might bring some concern and doubt to you right now. You might be asking, well, am I really saved? Well, friend, have you confessed your sin? Have you agreed with God that your sin is sin? Are you continually turning from that sin to seek to live a pure life before the Lord? Look, guys, we still sin. I understand that. And maybe it's more often than we want to. But if we are coming to the advocate Jesus for cleansing when we do sin, if we come to him and confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us all of unrighteousness, no matter how many times you have to do that, but you do that, then you have seen him and you do know him. See, Jesus is sanctifying us. I hope by the time that we're through 1 John, you understand justification, sanctification, glorification. These are super important doctrines of the Christian faith. And and sanctification, it is a process. You see, Jesus appeared to take away our sins. And, And we have been saved. We have been justified from the penalty of sin. And that's finished. Amen? And we are being saved. We are being sanctified from the power of sin, and and that's a process, amen? And we will be saved. We will be glorified from the presence of sin, and, and that's still future. Sin is not fully gone from our lives yet, but it will be one day. And so as we live each day, sin should be losing its power in our lives because we have this hope in Jesus. And if we hope in Jesus, we will purify ourselves as he is pure. We won't be sinless, but we will sin less. It's been said God is not looking for the perfection of your life, but by the direction of your life. Listen, friends, We don't have to sin. Remember, John wrote and said, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, they have an advocate, but we don't have to do the things that we are ashamed of. We can find rest in the forgiveness of Jesus, and and so let's keep abiding in Jesus. As his bride, let's continually live our lives pure before him. So that's the first effect of what I share today is that I I pray if you are a believer who has stumbled into sin, I pray that you would find comfort and you would run to Jesus so he could be your advocate. But the second effect of what I'm saying is that for the unbeliever who keeps on sinning with no intention of changing, I don't want to give you any kind of false comfort or false assurance. 
See, if you say that you know God, if you claim to be a believer, but you are living in habitual and ongoing and unrepentant lifestyle of sin, you, you know, you, you're just comfortable in sin. You're at home in it. It, it. Sin is just the direction of your life. And you won't agree with God that your sin is sin, even though the Bible clearly says it is. Friend, you have neither seen nor known God. How sharp is God's word? How sharp is God's word? That in one verse, one verse could comfort the believer while simultaneously warn a calloused unbeliever. That's powerful, and I pray that you would decide today how you're gonna receive his words today. I just pray that either by comfort or warning, you would run and cling to Jesus, amen? I need some feedback to make sure you guys are all good with me, because these are hard truths, but they are truth. And, and the one who appeared to take away sins, that's what Jesus did. See, are you a believer who stumbled in sin? You need an advocate, but are you an unbeliever who persistently practices sin? You need to be warned today, and that's what I'm doing. You need to be warned that if you don't repent and find mercy and forgiveness in Jesus, then you will have to bear your own judgment for sin. And I don't think you wanna do that. A life of abiding in sin is incompatible with a life of abiding in Jesus. See, it's interesting because sin goes completely against the character and mission of Jesus. See, how can we abide in Jesus and stay in sin? We are to turn from sin and find our home in Jesus because if, if Jesus' character is sinless, then, then we should have no part in sin. And if Jesus' mission was to take away sin, then we should allow him to take away sin from our lives. So to remain in sin, to be at home and abide in sin is incompatible with the mission and the character of Jesus. And if you persist in it, then you don't know Jesus. And verse seven says, little children, let no one deceive you. What John is telling us is to watch out for those who claim to be believers. Watch out for those who do not live in a manner worthy of the calling, who claim to have spiritual knowledge but do not have spiritual practice. In John's day, it was the Gnostics. These were the people who were coming into the church. They were lawless people. They were deceivers who looked to pick off people in the church to sin with them, and they try to lead people astray. And they'll say things like, no, man, I, I walk in the grace of God. God sees how I live, and, and, and he's okay with this little character fly God over here. He, I walk in his, in his grace, so it doesn't really matter what I do in, in my actions. They, 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 they scoff at the idea of being called a sinner. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Beware if there are Christians who say, don't call me a sinner, and then live however they want to live their lives. Don't be deceived, little children. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Verse 7 says more. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And again, this is going back to our position, that our position of righteousness will be shown by our practice of righteousness, that if you know Jesus, you're going to walk the way that Jesus walks. You're going to live the way that Jesus lived. And how did Jesus live? How did Jesus walk through his life? Jesus lived righteously, flowing from a pure heart of love. Not outward forms of righteousness, real righteousness flowing from a heart of love. See, what I do and and what I believe you do is that when you read the Gospels, you will say, man, I want to live like that. I see the way that Jesus lived, and I want to put into practice that way of human flourishing. It's not complicated to me. It's not fuzzy truth to look at the life of Jesus and say, I want that. Like, I feel that in my bones, that I want to be like Jesus, and if I want to be like Jesus, then I hate the sin that is in me that tries to keep me from Jesus. And I turn from that sin and I say, Jesus, be my advocate. And so my whole life is set on that, which is from a pure heart saying, God, Jesus said that. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. But if you have no desire for purity in you, if you don't have that deep want in you to practice righteousness, then you need to go back and you need to consider your positions. Amen? Okay. Verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And I sat on verse 8 and I, I was like, Lord, as I preach your truth, how do I tell people they're children of the devil? In love. Right? I'm going to do my best. Because it's amazing how people can claim to be Christians, but they live however they want to live and they never bat an eye at sin. And the moment that you start talking about a literal devil, they get all weird. They'll even scoff and say, How archaic is that? A devil. People say, I believe in God. I I just don't believe in a literal devil. Okay, what Bible are you reading? (laughs) The Bible teaches that there's a literal devil. Satan, serpent, liar. He has a few titles. And if you have Jesus as your advocate, then you know about that accuser of the brethren who hates you and, and how he tempts you to sin. See, the devil hates you because he hates God. And because you're made in the image of God, he wants to destroy anything related to God. And the devil is actively destroying people's lives as he tempts them towards sin and people choose to believe his lies and they live in sin because the devil is the father of lies and he has been sinning from the beginning. And if you're believing the devil's lies today, There's a literal devil, and if you're believing his lies today, if you're believing this lie, my sin doesn't hurt me. This, fine, it's, it's my sin, but it's not hurting anyone else. Or you're thinking, did God really say that? Does God really care that much about how I'm living this way? 
I got this thing with God. He's shown me his grace. Uh, this little character flaw over here, I'm fine. It's good. Jesus, Jesus knows. You're being deceived if you're believing those lies. And if you continue to make it your practice of sinning, and if you remain in that position, then you are being of the devil. You're not a child of God if you're a child of the devil. And, and, but to become a child of God, you, you come to Jesus. You allow him to do what he came to do. What did he come to do? To take away sins and to destroy the works of the devil. The reality is, if you are living for sin, you're living for the devil. And guess what? Come on, church. We are on the winning end. Amen? If you are living for the devil, you are on the losing end. The victory is already won. Jesus already conquered sin, death, and the devil. The prophecy was given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And when Jesus died on the cross, the devil thought that he won, but he was duped. And the Son of God crushed the head of the serpent with a decisive victory. And all of us who are called the children of God, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And what I'm doing today is I am working with Jesus to plunder that lying thief the devil. And if you are a believer, our active mission in Jesus is to live righteously and to plunder the works of the devil. We get in line with Jesus's character and mission. If he came to take away sin, we part with sin. If he came to destroy the works of the devil, we go destroy works of the devil with him. So don't be deceived, little children. Know that the devil still has access to believers to tempt them and to sideline them. Come to Jesus and, and let him destroy sin and the devil's work in your life. Believe that message and then go and proclaim that message, amen? And verse nine says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And so what John's doing is going back and forth between sin and salvation, but what he's not doing as he goes back and forth between sin and salvation is he's not straddling any fence. He, he isn't dancing between two opinions, he is fully convinced in how a child of God will live, and he's fully convinced in how a child of the devil will live. There is a kingdom of darkness, and there is a kingdom of light, and there's no self-preserving middle ground in cross-bearing. You die with Jesus, you reckon yourself dead in him, and you live by faith in Jesus Christ. And there's not this sort of, what am I? Be assured, who are you in Jesus? and walk in his power. You're a child of Adam, and therefore of the devil, or you're a child of God. You are for God, or you're against God. Choose this day whom you will serve. This purifies us from this waffling, carnal way of living. 
If you're born of God, you're a citizen of God's kingdom and you will not make it a practice of sinning because you've been born of God. And look, I remember what it was like in the BC days before Christ. I remember what it was like to be able to live however I wanted to live. I, I had some level of conscience and morality before I knew Jesus, but, but I pretty much kind of did what I wanted. That was until I came to know Jesus and I was born of God. And God started to reveal in his word who he is and who I am in him, and I wasn't able to do the things that I used to do. Amen? Because what happens is when you become born of God, you have the seed of God in you. What's the seed of God? I think it's the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Because with the Holy Spirit and the word of God dwelling in me, I can't keep on sinning. I've tried, look, I've tried at times to keep on sinning. Have you? I tried to go at times back to the things that I used to do, but I was miserable in them. And every time I think that I can just get comfortable and settle into some kind of sin, I'm miserable in sin. See, sin makes me feel miserable in my spirit because his seed abides in me and I cannot keep on sinning. Can I get another witness? Where, where we admit at times that we wander off the path, but, but we can't stay off the path because we belong on the path, and God always brings us back to his path, and his word and his spirit illuminates the path. As narrow, few find it, broad is the way, that leads to death, many go down it. But we are on the path, and, and those times we try to stiff arm God, he pursues our heart's affections, he relentlessly pursues the children of God and even chastens those whom he loves. If you've never felt the disciplining hand of God when you're in sin, you're not a legitimate child of God. See, a Christian, cannot live in sin because they'll be miserable in sin and they'll feel the chastening hand of the Lord while they're there. You have Jesus in you so you can't enjoy sin. And anytime a Christian tries to have a little bit of sin in them, they can't fully enjoy Jesus and that's just a sucky place to be. And thankfully, his kindness leads us to repentance. And his kindness that leads us to repentance means that when we do repent, times of refreshment can come. And oh, how good it is when I've been trying to hang on to some little sin and I repent of it, whew, that refreshment that comes from God feels so good. It is so good. See, look, carnal Christian living is a real thing. You can be a Christian and still kind of just live in the flesh. <laughs> But the Bible warns you that if you're found in that position, the Bible says you're, when you are saved, if you are saved, but if you're saved, you're saved as through fire. So to remain in that position, you gotta get out of it because if you settle there, if you try to see how close to sin you can live and still have Jesus, that's like the most dangerous, miserable position because maybe you're born of God, but maybe you're just not. Do you want to face eternity with those kinds of uncertainties. I certainly do not want that. 
So as a child of God, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. But some people, they're not abiding. They won't stop sinning because they're children of the devil and they're being deceived by the father of lies. And verse 10 says, by this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brothers. I love this, uh, this phrase, your footprints give you away. Where have you been walking? Where have you been settling into? And the lifestyle you live is evidence of who you belong to. If you're saved by grace through faith, then you're saved apart from works of righteousness. But if you have been saved, grace empowers you to works of righteousness. And the works that you will do will be evidence that you are saved. James talks all about this. You guys know the, uh, the verse in James chapter 2, 17 through 19. Um, basically, you know, oh, you have faith? By itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. And, and he later says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder. So what James is saying is if you believe in God, but you do not have any practices of righteousness to show for it, you are no different than living like a demon. How do you tell people you're a child of the devil and you're living like a demon? I don't think... Generally, people don't want to be told that. Generally, I don't like telling people that. Generally, like when I'm preaching, I'm not like, you're a child of the devil. You're living like a demon. And yet God's word is just clear. A life of sin is a life with the devil. And a life of righteousness is a life with God. I got two stories to tell you as we kind of sort of come to an end. You know when the preacher says we're coming to an end, but really he's got like 15 more minutes. <clears throat> two stories is the first one, I was on a missions trip in San Diego. Yeah, San Diego needs missionaries. And uh, as does Palos Verdes, and, and we were doing evangelism on the streets, and there was a man who I stopped to talk with. He quite literally fell into my arms coming out of a bar, and we started talking, and, and he was saying that he knew the Lord, and, and look, I understand that at times Christians can stumble into drunkenness, and, and I didn't know this man's whole story um, but what I did know is that the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, this man was so drunk, there was, he wasn't abiding with Jesus, at least not in that moment as he claimed to be a believer. And, and so I was talking to him about the Lord and everything, and, and then I said, can I pray for you, brother? And I started to pray for this man, and as I started praying for him, I said, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would call this man out of darkness and into light. And he stopped me mid-prayer and started yelling at me and cursing at me. You can't call me. You can't say I'm living in darkness. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Romans 13, 13, drunkenness is a work of darkness not fit for a child of God. Okay. Okay. Sorry, brother. 
And I don't know that man's standing, but I know if he remained in that persistent state of continual, ongoing, habitual drunkenness while claiming to be a child of God, he's deceived, and he needs to repent of that sin. Now, drunkenness might be the sin. Some other thing might be the sin. Whatever the sin, we all have various symptoms called sins. But there was another time and I was meeting with a student that was in our youth ministry. He'd come up through junior high ministry, had definitely made a commitment of faith, served in student leadership, but he came to his junior and senior year of high school, and he just disappeared, and I was like, where'd this guy go? And then I found out that he was living in sexual sin, and he was using drugs, and um, I met up with this young man, and I had some verses with me talking about some warnings from scripture of, of a of a backslidden Christian, and I'm pretty sure that I had this verse with me as I shared with him. And he's like, you know, I still believe in God, but I just kind of want to live how I want to live for a while. I kind of just want to do my own thing for a while. You know, just stiff-arming God. I was like, okay, but you're a child of God. Like, you can't, you should not be doing these things. I was pointing him to scripture and everything. He's like, yeah, yeah, I see that, but I'm going to do this for a while. This is what I want to do okay? Then one of his friends came by, and this kid was high as a kite, and he sits down at the table with us at this, at this cafe and starts to talk to, to this young man and say, talking about how they're going to go get high together later on that afternoon. And I just kind of let the student uh, talk and let the conversation go on for a while. You could tell that this backslidden student was getting really uncomfortable as his buddy's talking about how they're going to go get high later. And then I stopped the conversation. I said, hey, did you know that, you know, this guy here, did you know that he's a Christian? And this high kid is just like, no. <laughs> no, I didn't know he was a Christian. He's like, you don't live like a Christian. <laughs> Whoa. And I was just like, holy moment, step back. And you could like... You could see the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon this young man, and that young man is today serving Jesus in the youth ministry in Santa Barbara, absolutely in love with the Lord. Now, if you're in sin, how you respond to the warnings of sin is going to be telling. If you don't respond to warnings, you should, you should be careful. And so I've simply told you, what the word of God tells you, you have a responsibility to examine your own heart before the Lord and see it. But I'm telling you, if you make it your practice to keep on living in sin, you're a child of the devil. Sorry, not sorry. You gotta repent, you have to believe, or you're gonna perish in your sins. And sin is enjoyable, don't get me wrong. But God's not a cosmic killjoy. He takes away our sin because our sin is killing us. Sin destroys what is good, and God wants to save you from sin, both the penalty, the power, and the presence of it. And how you respond to the word of God and the spirit of God today by turning to Jesus for forgiveness is what really matters today. Verse 11 says, and this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, if you love this, if you love believers, you love the fellowship of the saints, you love the truth that is being spoken right now, it's telling of who you belong to. And then verse 12, the Bible gives this example of 
how Cain killed Abel, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Um, We're just gonna kind of breeze through this last part for a bit, but what we're gonna see here is that Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because he saw the righteousness that Abel was living in. He saw how he was living by faith and anger and envy stirred up within him. The same thing happened to Jesus where when he was on the earth, he was living a righteous life flowing from a pure heart but when he came in conflict with those who had an outward form of righteousness but were rotting on the inside, they were the religious leaders, the ones that claimed to believe in God but didn't know God. They were having a conversation with Jesus one day and, and they were mocking Jesus and said, we, who's your father? You know, your father, we know what your mother was into back then. You know, you were born out of fornication. Who's your father? And Jesus turned to them and said, I know who your father is, the devil. How do you think they like that? And, and, and Jesus said, if you knew me, you would know my father. If you reject me, you've rejected the Father. You don't know the Father, and your Father is the devil. If you reject Jesus and the righteousness that he is and the righteousness that he gives, you're a child of the devil. See, warnings can bring out the best in people, or it can bring out the worst in people. Verse 13 says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In the same way that Cain hated the righteous acts of his brother Abel, And in the same way that the religious hated the righteous acts of Jesus and they were both murdered for it, don't be surprised when the world hates you for your righteous acts. And we need to pray for the believers today who are being persecuted and killed for righteousness' sake and let that be an example to us. It's because of the righteousness and faith that you have in Jesus that the world hates you because what happens is you shine the light in the darkness and the men love darkness rather than, they don't want the lights turned on but we keep shining bright because we came on a mission with Jesus to destroy sin and Satan and as we read this last two verses we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers whoever does not love abides in death in verse 15 everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in it. Question you have to ask yourself now is who is your father? Who's your father? Do you find hatred or love toward God and Christians in your heart? The reality is a lot of people would murder. The reality is is that People just lack the opportunity and they fear the consequences. But because of the hatred that is in people's hearts, they they would love to just take out this message and take out any message of this kind. But that's 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 15. Nothing left out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this truth that I pray was a comfort to the believers to a purification to the carnal and a warning to the unbelievers. But God, we all want to see that in this room today, we would all 
realize the weight of our sin, but God, even more so, we would see the beauty and the magnificence of your love that you have bestowed upon us. Oh, how loved we are that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth today. I pray that it was spoken in a way that was truthful and yet also loving because you love so well. And I pray that we would all come to you, Jesus, to find refuge in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.